This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Think of your toughest relationship. Okay, now think of a relationship that is good but could be great. Now, think of a group of people that drives you nuts. You want to show more kindness and generosity, but sometimes you're just tired, stretched, and frustrated. And anyway, would small actions really make that much of a difference? Well, the answer may surprise you. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a woman who's done extensive research on this topic, and she has concluded that kindness is a kind of a superpower. It can change any relationship. It can make your life easier and better. It can transform our culture. My guest found that if someone does three simple things for 30 days, and we're going to talk about what those three things are in the show, regardless of the type of relationship, 89% of those relationships improve. Now, of course, the challenge impacts the other person, but it completely changes you, your feelings about that person, and your whole environment. It opens your eyes to all the ways you were unkind every day and didn't even realize it. I'm Armin Brod. We'll start talking about the power of kindness and how you can incorporate more of it into your life. But more important than that, I want to encourage you to participate with us in what's being called the Kindness Challenge. Those 30 days, make some changes in your life and see whether it affects you and those around you. We'll jump into all of that and a lot more when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Shanti Feldhahn, who's the author of The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. Shanti, thanks for joining us and for coming back on the show. You are here a couple of years ago. It is great to be back with you. Well, so let's talk about kindness, and I want you to, to take us through a little bit of, of your research that you've done and why you need to be researching kindness in the first place. <laughs> Really, well, you know, we don't need any more kindness in our culture, right? We've got that one covered. No, it's fine. We're all lovely people. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting. I uh, I started this research project almost by accident um, because I sort of stumbled across uh, years ago that doing a few, you know, specific things really improved relationships, and I was trying to figure out why exactly. And I realized that really what I was seeing is that there were really specific actions that when you put them together is what it really means to be kind, because that looks like kind of a vague principle, right? Just be kind. It turns out, no, there's some really hardcore practical stuff that if you do these specific things, it dramatically, in some cases, improves any type of relationship, even Hmm. the most contentious one. So that's why I started the research study, because it was something like everybody's got one of those relationships that they want to improve. You know, I'm wondering, this may seem like a, an, a, an absurdly simple question, but 
Is there a difference between kindness and just being nice? Yeah, actually, there's a pretty big difference. It's, it's interesting. When you have a relationship with somebody in your life that you really wish was better, and, you know, you have a, a positive parenting show. I, for me, when I'm doing this, it's, we call it the 30-day kindness challenge. I'm, I'm going to be doing this for my teenage daughter. And, you know, she's an awesome kid, but she's 16, and she can roll her eyes with the best of them. If I am being just nice to her, often it's just surfacey stuff. I mean, there's nothing wrong, I guess, with being nice. It can make things more pleasant. But if I'm really being kind, that's looking out for the best interest of the person. That's really caring about her. That's, there's some strength in that. And it also means that I have a responsibility with her or any other relationship that I'm trying to apply this principle of kindness. It also means that I have a responsibility to be kind even when, and really especially when, that person is not being kind to me. Can you give us a little bit of an example of the difference between kindness and niceness? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, in, in, in a similar situation. So yeah, what, well, what would a kind just, person do? What would a nice person do? Yeah, let's, let, let's, um, let's give a, a really common example that I'm sure all of us have probably been in where you have somebody that is really not treating you well, whether it's, you know, again, like your teenage child and they've got that sarcastic thing down and it makes your head want to explode, <laughs> or whether it's somebody that you're working with. And, um, and it's, a, it's just it can be a contentious relationship at times. Being nice is like, you know what, let's skate over the surface. I'm going to smile at you, and inside I'm seething. And <laughs> inside I'm going, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait to get home and complain to my husband or my partner. Inside, you know, I'm like I might walk away from my daughter, and I'd be sweet to her, and then I go complain to my husband. Oh, I can't believe what she did. Well, being kind it disallows all of that. If you're truly being kind, that means not just in your words, not just in your actions, but in your thoughts. Because ultimately what you most want, kindness has strength. It looks out for the best interest of the person, the other person, not just yourself. And that means, look, I need to actually heal my relationship with my daughter. I need to heal that relationship with my colleague and establish a really good, truly positive one, not just try to get through it and right. hope we endure it. Okay, so that's a relationship that you're having with somebody that you know and you've known for a long, long time. What if you're just dealing with a jerk <laughs> on, on the street who's, you know, or in a restaurant or, you know, the car next to you or whatever it is, you know, which we all come in contact with people like that, that a stranger you may never yeah. see again. And you're suggesting that the, the kindness approach can actually help relationships like that where you don't know the, the, the backstories be, behind somebody's jerky behavior. Yeah, well, and here's really the part that gets me when I think about that, because I'm sorry, the guy that cuts me off in traffic, I don't want to be kind to him, right? I mean, that's like, that's where my head explodes even more. And then I realize, oh, shoot, <laughs> I cannot get away from the fact that if I confront meanness with more meanness, I have just become one of those mean people that I hate about our culture. And I realize you can't confront unkindness with unkindness. Instead, 
you have to actually dig deep in yourself and be willing to model and act in a completely different way. And that's and that can be really difficult. And that's one reason why as we started the research project and we started figuring out what worked and what didn't, that we ended up distilling it down into the we call it the 30-day kindness challenge. We ended up distilling it down into these three things that if you do them, it retrains you. Okay, so before we get into the three things, I want to build that up a little bit. Sure. But what were you researching? I mean, it seems like it's a rather broad area to try to do research on <laughs> kindness. Yes. Uh, I, you know, what what was your, you know, people go, so they start a research study. They've got kind of a, a, a place that they think they're going to end up. Yeah, exactly. Well, the hypothesis was that if you do certain things over the course of a certain period of time, that it'll improve a relationship, whether it's, you know, again, with a kid, whether it's with your romantic partner or your mother-in-law that drives you nuts or whatever. And so we tested it. And as we were testing it, we did, okay, if we do this, oh, that didn't really work very well. Or how about these couple of things? Oh, that worked a little better. And so we were doing before and after surveys. And finally, that's how we came down with this, is that we discovered that if you do these three things for 30 days, the before and after, in some cases, dramatically changes. And it is super, super simple. But it really comes down to the fact that it's honestly, it's about being kind when you don't want to be, and it's changing you. And that changes the environment around you. And then you talk about uh, how 89% of relationships are improved. So we're, we're yep. well beyond the, the guy who cut you off in traffic. So these are, these are really relationships that you have some interest in preserving. What does that mean they improved? So what we did is we, we got all sorts of measures from the beginning. It was actually a really fun research project. So we heard everybody's sort of deepest, darkest secrets from the beginning. You know, kind of all those ways they get irritated with somebody and they don't really want to be or that they do act like, you know, they cut people off in traffic and they kind of know they shouldn't, you know. So we did, all, we did all of that at the beginning and figured out where people were starting. And we asked them to pick one relationship. And, and this, by the way, we found is crucial because everybody has heard the random acts of kindness movement. It turns out that the random acts of kindness, you know, to, for this person one day and that person behind you in the drive through line the other day and the cashier at the checkout, you know, the other day, the random acts of kindness, they do make the world a better place, but it turns out that it's targeted kindness in one specific relationship that really makes you a better person. And so what we were testing was if you start this relationship, give us a, a sense for what it's looking like. Is it, is it your mother-in-law that, that you, <laughs> you really want, you need a good relationship with her, but you just don't have one? Or, you know, you love your kids and you really want to have a really good positive experience with them instead of being exasperated all the time. What does it look like as you're starting? Do this 30-day kindness challenge. Be kind for 30 days and then measure those things at the end. And that's what we found, that we saw an 89% improvement. It was, it was remarkable. It was, it was certainly one of the research projects. I've done now, this is my eighth massive national study, and it's certainly the one that I was by far the most surprised by. And so you're, you're changing, but 
Did you interview the people on the other side of this by any chance as part of the research program that, to, to get did. their perspective on how things changed? Yes, we did. It sort of depended on which phase of research we were in. But, yes, we, we wanted to find out, like, if somebody was doing it as part of a couple, for example, and you have, you know, yourself, you have your significant other. And we were able to get the data, in some cases, not all of them, because it sort of wasn't appropriate in some cases, but we tried very hard to get the data on the other side as well just to see, you know, what does the other person think? And it was interesting because there were some of these cases where somebody was like, you know, they're, let's just say they were married and their marriage was okay, but it wasn't great and they wanted it to be better. I had several wives who were doing it for their husband, for example, and the husband said at the beginning that they were sure this was just some new attempt to try to manipulate them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Like, and then realizing, you know what, I don't really care whether they're trying to manipulate me because this is kind of nice. Like, I kind of like the fact that my wife is thinking, how can I look for things to praise about you rather than things to criticize? Like, what husband is not going to love that? Right. Shanti, hang on just a second. We've got to take a quick break. Talking with Shanti Feldhahn, the author of The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we keep talking to Shanti about what makes up the kindness challenge, the elements of it, and uh, how you can implement it. I'm Armin Braun. You're listening to Positive Parenting. It's Practical Poly Radio. I've switched to cooking with healthier oils. So now what do I do with all these tubs of lard? Skinny jeans feeling too tight, a bit of lard on your hips and thighs, and those pants slide on like a dream. So there's no need for that lard to go to waste. But get your best heart-healthy trade-up with healthier oils, like canola, olive, or other vegetable oils, which can actually lower your chances for heart disease. Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info is the national supporter of the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Shanti Feldhahn, who's the author of The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. And let's start talking about the three steps or the three things that you're going to be implementing or changes you're going to be making. Talk about those. Yeah, so here's what you do. You pick, like we were saying, you pick one person that you want a better relationship with. Now, by the way, if you're one of those people that just loves, like, the random acts of kindness movement and you want to do this broadly, have at it. That's great. However, we still say pick one person because that's where your eyes really get opened. And so let's just, you know, say for the sake of argument, you know, it's your 10-year-old son. And you have a, a okay relationship with them, but there's a lot of tension and you get exasperated and irritated a lot and you don't want to be. And so for 30 days, you do three things. First, you don't say anything negative about that person, either to them or about them to somebody else. And that is usually where we sabotage our relationships and how we feel about them and don't realize it. So let's just say that you know, your son is so forgetful and, you know, he ha- he always forgets his homework and you've worked on it and you've told him 20 times and he forgot it anyway. For just for 30 days, you can't get exasperated with him about that. Now, you can correct, but you have to do so in an encouraging and positive tone of voice rather than negatively, like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't believe you forgot your homework again. Okay. So you're banishing phrases like, you always and you never. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
Okay. Well, and we know that we need to do that. I think most of us know that. We Probably, don't always yeah. do it, yeah. but we kind of know that. What I hadn't realized when I started this process is when you say don't say anything negative, just how often we're negative and we don't realize it. For example, that example, I had no idea until I started this that exasperation is one of the types of negativity. And I get exasperated with my kids all the time. There's seven different types of negativity, and we trip over them and don't even realize it. And we can't not only to that person, we can't then go close the door and talk about it to somebody else. I can't go criticize my son to my girlfriends at work or to my husband. Just for 30 days, withhold all of that. And then the second thing is, for 30 days, find one thing that is positive, that you can sincerely praise, that you can sincerely affirm about this person and tell them and tell somebody else. So again, let's just say it's your 10-year-old son. That means that, okay, I can't get exasperated and roll my eyes that he forgot his homework again. But I can say, you know, buddy, I, I love the fact that you work so hard, that you are willing to stick in it even though you were so confused by your math homework, and that you really try. I really appreciate that you try. And then you go to your husband and you say, you know what, I really appreciate that he, he works so hard. That he's, got, he's getting a good work ethic. And without realizing it, what you're doing is you're retraining how you feel about that person in the situation. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it easier then the next time to look for the positive. Right. And easier uh, the next time. I know so, there's, still, there's still one more thing here, but I, I want to, I'm yeah. just thinking that this is going to happen, that there's a certain element of, of kindness towards yourself that has to be put in here. What if you're, you know, 17 days into this thing and you just lose it? Do you start all over again or do you just (laughs) move on? You just keep going. You just move on and you keep going because I can promise every person listening to this that they will lose it at some point. There is going to be a point at which you go, oh, man, (laughs) I lost it. And And it's like, I mean, I hate to use this example, but it's like trying a new fitness plan or trying a diet or something where... You're, you're not used to eating healthy. You're not used to doing this. And, you know, that chocolate chip cookie looked really good. <laughs> and you ate it. You don't give up. You go, okay, you know what? I did, I did that wrong. I, I, I rolled my eyes at my son. He could tell I was frustrated. All right, forgive yourself. Apologize to your son and move on. Don't let it derail you. All right, so there's one more yes. thing. Kindness the, itself. Mm-hmm. The third element of the 30-day kindness challenge, after you with, you know, nothing, you say nothing negative for 30 days, you find one thing that you can sincerely praise or affirm, and you tell the person, and you tell somebody else. And then the third thing is to do a small action of generosity, some small action of kindness or generosity. So, you know, for example, I was doing the research, and, and one woman who's actually doing the challenge for a, a 10-year-old son was, was telling me that she just got so tired of listening to her son talk about the different levels on these little basketball video games that he was doing that she said, you know what? And he kept saying, would you play with me? She had no interest in playing this basketball video game with her son. But she said, okay. And that was, you know, she said, it's just going to be 15 minutes. I can do that. I'll, I'll just do it. And that 15 minutes, she ended up going, he was so gleeful and realized it was this little bitty thing that had this huge impact that she said, 
maybe I'll do more of this. And she ended up, it became a thing later where they ended up really kind of getting into that being their thing together to play these basketball video games. And she eventually heard her son bragging to the other kids on this field trip. My mom is this level. No other mom plays basketball games with their kids, but my mom <laughs> does cool. good at video games. And she was just like, it, it all started because she had to find some little action of generosity to do. All right, so there's a certain element of, of human nature that I can see creeping into this thing, which is it, it's natural that if you're doing nice things for somebody, you either, or maybe both, you want them to be acknowledged and you want them to be reciprocated. Yeah. So, But what you're <laughs> talking about is a one-way, at, at least an, an attempt, right? <laughs> very, very much. It's, it is one of these things that it is so easy to go into an effort like this because we think, well, <laughs> good, that, that other person's going to like me more, and they're going to change. And you know what? Unless you go in, into this with the sense of that it has to be unconditional, you're going to be disappointed. Because sometimes you see, we saw in the research process, sometimes people saw pretty big changes pretty quickly, but sometimes they didn't, and that they had to work at it. And you know what? If you're expecting your own affirmation, you know, that affirmation to come back to you when you do this nice thing and you want the pat on the back, then what you're doing is actually conditional kindness conditional love it's mm, not unconditional okay. okay that's that's true well and here's why that becomes a problem is because anytime that we set out to do something that is a conditional effort and we're disappointed we're going to eventually stop right as opposed to thinking no this is the type of person that i want to be and this is what I feel like I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to model something, especially, goodness gracious, especially if we're doing it for our kids. I mean, what person doesn't want to raise a kind young man or a kind young woman that is so needed in this culture? And guess what? It, it starts with us. So if we're going to do that, that means we have to start this with no expectations. Now, the good thing, though, and this is just a bit of encouragement from the research, if you don't mind, is that we actually found this amazing statistic that if you do this with no expectation, the good news is that in the vast majority of cases, and it was somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of relationships, depending on the type of relationship, but the vast majority of the relationships, at the end, the person said, even though I was the one doing all the work, in the end, I felt more loved and appreciated, which is awesome. Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm exposing my inner self-centered person here, <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know, you're going to feel some resentment there in some way. I mean, I, and I completely understand the, the logic behind it and the, the way that you need to go into it with, with uh, low expectations or no expectations, but it just seems like it, it's going to bubble up there somehow. That, you know, don't you see what I'm doing for you, all these great things I'm doing for you, and I'm, I'm really trying here, and you're still blah, Absolutely. blah, blah. Absolutely. No, and especially the more contentious the relationship and the more you want it to improve. I mean, if you're talking about your husband and your wife, for example, and you're trying to save your marriage, goodness, you know, if there's been hurt, of course that, that there's a risk of that resentment. It's actually one of the reasons why we tell people you have to be aware from that, of that from the beginning because that is very likely to, to happen, especially at the very beginning where it's completely one-sided and the other person hasn't started responding yet because 
usually they, they do end up responding in some way. But that's also the reason why we said, all right, and we actually tested this in the process, and we found it makes all the difference if you do this with somebody else. If you get a small group, like if you're a, you know, a wife who's doing this for her husband, get a couple other wives, do a book club, do a study, do a, you know, find a coffee clutch and, and have somebody that you can call and you're like, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. I want to kill him. Like have somebody who can talk you off your ledge and say, look, okay, try this. Or, you know, I totally understand. I'm so sorry, but keep going. You'll do it. And then maybe the next day they see encouragement, but they needed that little extra help from somebody who's alongside them on the journey. We, ha- we actually have totally free materials that people can use to actually do this together as part of a little group. Shanti Feldham, the author of The Kindness Challenge, 30 Days to Improve Any Relationship. Where can people get those free materials? So all they have to do is go to jointhekindnesschallenge.com. So you can sign up for the 30-Day Kindness Challenge there. This is all completely free. You know, get sort of daily reminder emails for 30 days, and you'll see all the the little group materials if you want to do this with a book club or or whatever. And honestly, I, I am so excited about it because it's really retraining us to be the kind people that we want the world to be like. So, Excellent. Yeah. Shanti, thank you very much. Sure thing. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Bront. Let's just jump right into today's Ask Mr. Dad column. Dear Mr. Dad, my kids are ages 9 and 11, and they're fortunate enough to be good at almost everything they do. But if something comes up that they don't pick up immediately, whether it's a sport, a board game, or an art project, or something else, they tend to get frustrated and quit. How can I get them to understand that losing, or at least not being perfect at everything, is just part of life? You have just put your finger on one of the biggest challenges facing parents today, how to teach our children not only to accept failure, but to actually embrace it. Unfortunately, too many children and young adults have spent most of their life in a world where they're told every day that they're amazing and fantastic and where they get trophies and awards for just showing up. The message is clear. If you're going to get the same reward whether you work hard or not, why trouble yourself? At the same time, we live in a world where we're obsessed with performance, whether that's good grades or high test scores, playing on an elite sports team and leading the league in home runs or touchdowns, or landing a high-paying job. The message here is also clear. You have to be the best. If you're not, you're nothing. Or as Cam Newton, the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers who lost Super Bowl 50, put it last year, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Together, those two messages have created a situation that your kids and millions of others are in. If they can do something extremely well right off the bat, they'll do it. If not, they'll quit in a hurry rather than risk being seen as a loser. At the same time, in order to keep being seen as winners and to keep the you're amazing comments and awards coming in, they gravitate towards activities they know they can excel at. Bottom line, they don't challenge themselves. They don't understand the importance of hard work, and they haven't developed the resilience they need to cope with failure. So, how can you get them to understand that losing is a part of life? Well, it's not going to be easy, but I think it can be done. The first step is to try to be less results-oriented in your own life. 
less focus on grades and performance, more on learning and improvement. Next, talk about hard work. But just saying that it's important isn't enough. Show your kids examples of people who have worked really, really hard to achieve success. It's easy to look at someone like Bill Gates or LeBron James and say, oh, I want to be just like that. It's a very different thing to understand how much incredibly hard work it took them to get where they are. Talk about the importance of losing, and again, do more showing than telling. Be open about your own failures and those of anyone else whose stories you know, and emphasize how the world didn't come to an end when things didn't go the way you wanted. You might also read them a few excerpts from Sam Weinman's new book, Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. It's a show that we did just a couple of weeks ago. Weinman gives examples of very high-profile people in sports, entertainment, business, and other arenas who not only failed but took what they learned from failure and used it to succeed. Finally, keep encouraging your kids to try new things, especially things they won't be good at right away. Encourage them to talk with you about how it feels not to be the best and help them figure out what they learned from the experience and how they can use those lessons in other areas of their life. If you've got a comment or a question for us, drop us a line through our website, mrdad.com. We love to hear from you, and we love to address your questions and concerns right here on this show. We'll be back next week with another segment for you. Hey, but don't go yet. You know there's a lot more positive parenting coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me, and that I'll be home soon. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, this is the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And I'm Armin Brott. Between feeding infants, sending kids off to school, helping with homework, getting little ones ready for bed, and countless other activities, it may seem pretty much impossible to find a few moments to restore your ever-subsiding sanity. Moms can feel as if they're sprinting through life, crashing into the pillow at the end of the day, only to start again the next morning without savoring any of the moments in between. Well, Shonda Morales has been there, and Shonda is going to be our guest for this part of the show. She's a psychotherapist, and she once devoted half an hour a day 
to meditation each and every day. Then she became a busy mama who needed the benefits of her mindfulness practice more than ever. She needed perspective, calm, and the ability to be present for her family. None of those are particularly easy. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with Shonda about breathing, about meditation, about mindfulness, and also about what she calls mindful breaks, which are short, quick, daily opportunities to reset and refocus your life with mindfulness. The goal, of course, is to help you achieve peace and calm and to help you tune into your own well-being. And with Shonda Morales to guide you, well, you're going to be able to do that in mere minutes. I'm Armin Braun. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ, good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> it's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Shonda Morales, who's the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, Five-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms. Shonda, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about how mindfulness might be different for moms than for anybody else, or is it, do you think? I do, and, and I get this question a lot. Why did I write the book for busy moms? Why not busy dads or busy parents? Um, so a couple of reasons, and I think that uh, moms tend to have a little bit of extra societal pressure put upon us. So uh, not only do we have to juggle all these roles that dads do as well, but what I see is that moms really do a lot of comparing and put a lot of pressure on themselves to look good, to bring the, the best, best decorated cupcakes to the birthday party in school, and so forth. So so there's this extra pressure to do it really well, almost um, sometimes with perfectionism that uh, society tends to place on moms. Um, and I also see that as much as dads have picked up a lot of the co-parenting and the household roles, um, share in a lot of that, that I still see moms as managers of the household oftentimes. So just the, the minute details of the dentist appointments and who is getting this birthday gift and how is the carpool running this week, that the moms tend to manage those tiny details. And so for all those reasons, uh, I focused on busy moms. Okay. Well, that sounds perfectly reasonable. So <laughs> I guess then, then we need to do another little bit of, of uh, definition setting, I guess. 
What do you mean by mindfulness? I think we, we've talked about it a number of times on the show. We've had mindfulness for kids and mindfulness and in, in for, for eating and different kinds of things. But refresh our, our minds here a little bit about what mindfulness is and why it's important. Right. So very simply, mindfulness is bringing our full attention to the present moment with a sense of uh, kindness and compassion and curiosity. So as best we can, not judging ourselves toward it, but just being aware of what's happening right now. So instead of worrying about the future or what-ifing or running through our to-do list or rehashing the past, we're right here, right now. Okay. And not allowing yourself to get too distracted by it, though, at the same time, right? Distracted by? Whatever it is that you're thinking about that is is taking you in different directions because that's, that's the hardest part of... of pretty much anything is you're just going to be you're kind of side swiped by all sorts of thoughts and ideas and things that get in the way of whatever you're doing to wherever you should be doing in the present moment or could be doing right so so a common misconception about mindfulness is that it's clearing our mind of thoughts but that's just not possible (laughs) that's really not the goal at all so it's more about acquainting ourselves with our minds and what the thoughts are and where our thoughts take us because the more awareness we have the more choice we have in each moment of how we respond to situations. So rather than just reacting out of habit or on automatic pilot, we can pause and choose because we're more aware. Okay. All right. So there's there's three terms, I mean, there's a whole bunch of terms here, but there's three that I, I want to make sure that we're all really clear on the difference between them because mm-hmm. they all sound like they, they could be kind of close together. So we've got mindfulness we've talked about, meditation, and then mindful breaks. Right. So meditation is a time when you carve out uh, a space of time in your day to practice that mindfulness muscle. You sort of build that mindfulness muscle. So for example, we might pay attention and meditate on the breath just because it's always with us. So we notice the inhale, we notice the exhale, our mind wanders, we bring it back to the breath. So it's repeatedly gently bringing our attention back over and over again to a point of focus and that is meditation so um, yoga is actually a form of moving meditation and we can do seated meditation walking meditation Um, so that's where it's different from mindfulness mindfulness is this awareness Um, it's a way of being and meditation is the practice so it's this foundation that we we lay down okay is can you have one without the other Sure, sure, Um, because you can sit down and meditate uh, for, let's say, 30 minutes and really be aware of what's happening, and you can hop up and move through your day without awareness the rest of the day. I mean, that can happen, Um, So, and vice versa. We can be more mindful throughout our days without meditating, but they really do support each other, um, and they really uh, work well together. Okay, and then you've got the mindful breaks, which are... Also, you're, we're going to talk about how this is all going to go together, but just want to make sure we're all on the same page as far as what we're talking about. So right. mindful breaks being what? So they are reminders and uh, pauses throughout the day. So, so after we've gotten up and meditated and now it's time to go through our day as, as normal, we can pause for just a few seconds or while we're doing tasks, everyday tasks throughout the day and take a mindful break. So for example... 
Um, we can have a mindful tea break or a mindful cup of coffee. Rather than swigging back our cup of tea or coffee, we can bring our full attention to it and be aware. We're already doing it, but we can have a different relationship to how that's happening. And um, so throughout the day, many, many ways to take mindful breaks. And you suggest that you take a lot of them, or is there a particular number that's good for some people to start with or the ideal target? Right. So so um, I think it's helpful to start with just one or two. We don't want to overwhelm ourselves. But if you uh, make an intention to pick one or two to start out each day and then build upon that. So um, and, and in my book, Breathe Mama Breathe, there are over 60 to choose from. So um, you can vary that day to day or sometimes people like to try the same one for a week and kind of integrate that into their day and then add another one. But um, I mean, any time anytime throughout the day is an invitation to drop in and be aware of what's happening, but we don't want to overwhelm ourselves either <laughs> as we're learning. Okay. And you talked about meditating for five minutes. <clears throat> I think that seems like not a very long period of time. Do you suggest starting with that and increasing it, or is that a good enough time to get the kinds of results that you're looking for? Right. Great question. And so what I've come to with teaching meditation about 10 years now or a little bit longer is that uh, people have great intentions of starting and meditating 20 or 30 minutes a day. And what I found was people would come into my office and say, yeah, I didn't do it or I only did it once this week. Um, So five minutes a day is a great starting point because you want to establish this daily habit. That's the most important so that it's it becomes part of your routine, and then that's wonderful to build upon it, and I would highly recommend that. But five minutes is sometimes all people are willing or able to, to do, and that has been shown through research to have benefits for sure. Really? Just five minutes? Yes, yes. Uh, do you have to do it on a regular basis or just, I'm, you know, I'm sure that it, you could do a five minutes and that will help you feel better in the moment, but to have some sort of long-term effects Right. So absolutely. This daily habit is key um, because it's that reminder every day. It's practice. It's like building uh, a muscle in our body, but you're really building your mindfulness muscle in your brain. And what research has shown is that meditation can actually change the function and uh, shape of our brains over time. So it really is like exercise for our brain. Really? Yes. (laughs) Okay. And, And what does it do, though? How does that actually play out? Well, there are a number of things. So the, um, the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is in charge of attention and sort of organization and planning and seeing the bigger picture, that actually the gray matter in the brain has been shown to increase in long-term meditators. And the amygdala, which is kind of our emotional part of our brain, uh, that reacts and just kind of... Um, we sort of are emotionally hijacked, we like to say, Um, that gets smaller in long-term meditators. So there's not this automatic reaction. There's more calm, a more even state uh, over over long-term meditation. Talking with Shonda Morales, who's the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, Five-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms, and another part of the subtitle is Make Everyday Moments a Chance to Find Calm and Feel More Connected. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the 
mindful breaks we can be taking, how to do that and what to do, and how to incorporate them into your lives. Also want to talk about some things that you wouldn't expect would go along with, with meditation or mindful breaks, and that is dealing with some of the unpleasant aspects of day-to-day life. I'm Armin Brunt, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Excuse me, do you know how to get to Maine and Maple? How's that cook? How do you change the ringtone? How much does this cost? Does this bus stop at Elm Street? We ask questions everywhere in life, except... Any questions? Um, no. At the doctor's office, ask questions. What is this test for? Are there any side effects? Questions lead to better health care. Go to ahrq.gov for a list of 10 questions everyone should know. Questions are the answer. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Shonda Morales, who's the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, 5-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms. So let's talk about some of these. You mentioned that there are about 60 of the mindful breaks. And you got to go back a little bit because I'm, I'm still not 100% sure that I grasp the difference between a mindful break and mindful or, or and, and meditation. I mean, I understand that you're not just sitting and thinking uh, with, with the mindful break. But how are those non-meditative breaks mindful okay so uh for example if we're we use a the waiting mindful break so a mindful break is something we use any time throughout the day excuse me that we can just pause and notice what's happening so we don't need to go off and be quiet and have a a space where nobody will uh, interrupt us to meditate we're in the middle of our day, in the middle of our busy lives, we can pause and bring full attention to that moment. So waiting in line at the grocery store or waiting at a doctor's office for an appointment, instead of pulling our phone out and scrolling through social media like we might do, uh, what would happen if we pause, take a few deep breaths, uh, maybe notice what's happening in our body. We drop our shoulders, we Uh, unfurl our brow maybe and and look up and just see what's right in front of us so we're there for that moment rather than in some um, what some people call a virtual reality of awareness in our phones okay there for that moment right okay so are there particular ones that you can do with your kids I mean as as a busy mom you may not be able to to get that time away from your kids and how if you are able to do it with them or if you have to do it with them how can you make that relaxing enough right so so uh one great mindful break i love is a three breath hug which is deliberately connecting with our kids or our spouse and that is to to engage in a big bear hug and you teach this to your kids and you take three slow deliberate uh, breaths together in and out and it's really sweet and calming and even teenagers if they're going to act like they don't like it tend to like it too so um so i love that one um but we can we can take a mindful break when we are with others and we can let them know what we're doing or not so we can let our kids in on some of this too you can take a mindful break while you're eating a meal you might just pause and 
um, before you start, say, let's, let's notice what the food looks like, what it smells like. We use our senses. Maybe we think about how it made its way to our plate. Um, and what if we taste that first bite of food together and notice the flavors? And so it's, it's everyday activities that we can just bring more awareness to. So oftentimes we can savor them more. You know, you talk about breathing and smelling and being aware of things, and, and you just said to enjoy them more. But you talk in the book about the opposite of that, in a way, dealing with unpleasant moments, things that are not so enjoyable, and using these mindful breaks to help you cope with those things. Uh, talk about that. Oh, yes. <laughs> we all need that with parenting, right? So with those moments where, you know, your toddler's having a meltdown or your teenager is rolling their eyes and, and doing this oppositional thing that, that happens. Um, so mindfulness can be this brief pause where we can uh, um, calm ourselves enough. So in just those few seconds, we might recognize, oh, I'm feeling some tension here. I'm ready to go. And we have that split second where we can take a few breaths and calm our body down enough that we can choose how we respond in those situations because otherwise we're just going to react out of habit or out of anger or frustration. Um, and this way we have a choice more often. Hmm. Are there things that you can do as, as a group, do you think? I mean, you mentioned something you could do with your child and, the, and, and with other people to enjoy senses and things like that, but is this like two people or is, is three a crowd? Oh, no, no, absolutely. And I've taught uh, Mindfulness for Kids classes, so a lot of this can be done um, in groups. Um, so, and, and with kids especially, no, noticing senses, noticing their bodies, because they're, they're very much in their bodies, and um, teaching kids especially to be aware of what's, to be able to name body sensations and have more awareness is huge. Uh, I like to use the example of that gut instinct. People talk about, you know, trust your gut. And a lot, uh, often people will say, I don't, I'm not sure what that means. I don't know. But when we really pause and pay attention and get more familiar with body sensations, they can really clue us in uh, to a lot. So um, think about if we, if we are unsure about something, we find ourselves in a sticky situation, and we ha get that little bit of a butterfly in our stomach or a little bit of uncomfortable feeling, then we can teach our kids that is a signal that you need to stop and really step back and assess the situation. That's a clue for you. Something's going on um, and that kind of thing. So, so um, stepping outside and, and nature as well, using our senses, anything like that with groups. Okay. And aside from the, the three-breath break, which sounds like a terrific idea for, for kids of all, of all types, it seems like an important part of this maybe it's just it's the overlap between motherhood and or fatherhood for that matter and parenting is to to help other people benefit from this your kids in particular how do you begin to make mindfulness a family activity hmm. well i always say to start with ourselves as parents we have to put on our own oxygen mask first um learning what mindfulness is and practicing it and kids soak that up so they they are like little sponges for our emotions and our sense of well-being and playfulness. So when we're practicing and we're more at ease, we're more fun and we're more creative, um, we're happier. And so they feel this. And there was actually uh, research done where 
parents meditated for a year. They were taught mindfulness meditation, and their kids were actually shown to be more social and less aggressive simply from their parents practicing mindfulness. Wait, and, and the, definite, the kids didn't do it at all? The parents did? That's right, right. So there's a clear trickle-down effect. That um, it's, So whether it's modeling or whether they, they are experiencing a family life that is more calm and more connected, there's that benefit without the kids practicing it all on their own. So, so that's number one, is we need to learn how to do it ourselves and then invite our kids. So, you know, they're curious especially the younger kids, to know what we're doing. And we can just name it, and they and we can say, I'm feeling like I am a little bit frustrated right now or I might lose it, so I'm going to step away. I'm going to take a few breaths. We can model that for them um, so that they can learn that it's okay to do that and how to do that. And also, when we do lose it, <laughs> lose our temper, and act in a way we, we aren't proud of, it's mindfulness helps us to forgive ourselves uh, offer ourselves a little compassion. We can come back and make that repair with our child and say, I didn't handle that very well. I didn't use my breath. I didn't, I didn't calm myself enough. And I'm sorry, and I'm going to try better next time. And so, you know, those are all lessons that they can be learning, too. I'm really curious about how these things actually play out physiologically. It just seems, you know, you're saying that, that mindfulness helps you to be more compassionate. How does that work? Hmm. I'm not sure about the specifics of compassion in, in the mind and the brain, um, but I do know that fight or flight is something we've probably heard, people have heard of. Um, when we're stressed out or when we're, when we're perceiving danger, our body goes into fight or flight. So if there's a real danger that we're facing, then that's helpful because we're ready to fight or ready to run away. But in our busy lives, we perceive so much as danger or threats. And we're in fight or flight so much of the time that we don't even know we're there. It's a sort of chronic level of uh, low-level stress or overwhelm. So um, that is adrenaline and cortisol, and that can make us tired and more sick and, and um, a lot of chronic illnesses. So when we are feeling, when we are practicing mindfulness more, we're, we're not experiencing as much fight or flight. Our body's naturally calmer. And um, when we're able to be more calm, we're able to look outside of ourselves. When we're stressed, we're very self-focused. Um, so being able to be more at ease and calm automatically makes us more hmm. compassionate looking outward. Um, but there is research as well that, uh, that compassion does increase with mindfulness meditation as well. Shonda Morales is the author of Breathe, Mama, Breathe, 5-Minute Mindfulness for Busy Moms. Make everyday moments a chance to find calm and feel more connected. Shonda, thanks for joining us. It was very nice to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Armin. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.